I hope you have a bulletin today because inside there are some uh, study notes that will help you to follow along and some verses that we'll be studying today. There are some theologians who say that chapter 8 of the book of Romans is probably the greatest chapter that's been written about the Christian life. And there are some who say that the first two verses of chapter 8 are the greatest verses that have been written. Now, when I was in seminary, they had a thing called the Law of Correlation. And the Law of Correlation is a principle that has to do with Bible study and how you interpret the Bible. And it says this, that the best way to interpret Scripture is by Scripture. In other words, when we have hard things that we we have trouble understanding, we look at that through the light of the things that we do understand. And so, therefore, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so I want to use that way. Maybe sometimes you look at a difficult passage by looking at a clear passage. And so I, I want to show some passages that I think will shed some light on the first two verses of Romans chapter 8. So let me read these and then we'll look at the Scripture and some clarifying Scriptures for these verses. Therefore, and by the way, whenever you see the word therefore, you want to ask the question, what is it therefore? Because... The Apostle Paul, in chapter 7, has been talking about a great struggle that's been going on in his life. Some people say that chapter 7 is what Paul was like before he came to know Christ. Some people say this is what it was like after he came to know Christ, but before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But, but I can tell you this, whenever I buy a commentary on Romans, I always turn to chapter 7 to see how they interpret this. This is the struggle that Paul is actually facing. And therefore... He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And I think this is one of the most important verses that a Christian could either read or memorize or meditate on. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And I'll tell you how to understand condemnation. It's how you feel. You feel guilty. You know you did wrong. It's like when I was a kid, I used to say to my brother, don't tell mom. (laughs) You got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You know that you're guilty and that you probably are going to get punished for it. You feel self-rejection. Oh, I was such an idiot. I was so stupid. Boy, man, did I ever blow it. The Bible says that God doesn't want Christians to live under those feelings of guilt and fear and self-condemnation and rejection. You see, Paul has been doing the struggle, and he says back in chapter 7, all the things I want to do, I end up not doing, and all the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He says, I'm miserable because I can't make myself do what I want to do. I know what's right, but I can't do it. And and he's really struggling, and then he closes chapter 7 by saying, what a wretched man am I? Who will save me from this life of sin? Now, in the in the Bible times, or when the Bible's written... They didn't have chapter and verses. The very next line is, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. A Christian who is struggling is not under condemnation. When a Christian sins, what happens? And by the way, if we don't understand what we're talking about today, you will avoid God out of fear. You're going to find it very hard to snuggle up close to God if you don't understand what we're going to talk about today. We're going to find it hard to feel uh, uh, close to God. And here's a couple things we need to understand. Number one is, God does not reject me when I sin. If you're a Christian, 
and you've given your life to Christ, God is never going to reject you. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, in the NIV it says drive out, and the New American Standard says I will never cast out. Never. He will not reject you once you're in Christ. God doesn't write you off. He still loves you. He still accepts you even when you sin. And I'll tell you why. Because His love is unconditional. And the idea, and maybe you got this when you were a kid, be good, because if you're not, God won't like you. You know, that's a nice guilt-manipulating technique. But if you're a believer, God has already accepted you, and He can't reject you. Because you're in Christ, and to reject you would be to reject Christ Himself. Romans 9.15, it's a quote from Exodus chapter 33. It says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And what he's saying there is that my love for you is not dependent on how you react to it. I choose to love you. I choose to have mercy on you. My love is unconditional. It's not I love you if, it's I love you, period. And our acceptance isn't based on our performance. Look at Romans 9.16. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Our acceptance is based on our position in Christ. And that's what Romans 8.1 is all about. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. And by the way, this phrase, in Christ, is the Apostle Paul's most favorite way to describe the Christian life. In the, God, in the New Testament, not in the Gospels, in the New Testament letters of Paul, 167 times he uses the phrase, in Christ. That's Paul's word for saying, you're a Christian. I don't know if you've ever felt when you've sinned that somehow God is far away. You feel like he's a million miles away and that somehow he's rejected you. Those feelings are not from God. I don't necessarily have a bumper sticker mentality, but there's one bumper sticker I saw one time that I really like. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? (laughs) God does not reject you even when you sin. You are in Christ. And He'll never treat us like an enemy. He treats us as son and daughters. And that's one of the things that it means to live without condemnation. No matter what I do, God will never reject me because I am in Christ Jesus. And then number two, God isn't angry with me when I'm inconsistent. I get, I get angry with myself. I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. And then I get impatient with myself. And one of the most beautiful truths that you can learn from Scripture is that God is patient with you. He understands that it takes time to grow. Even when you're inconsistent, He will not condemn you. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The struggle of the up and down and the roller coaster of life. But God still isn't angry with me. Look at Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are but dust. God knows exactly what you're made of. He knows you're a human being. And one of the reasons that God never gets uptight or irritated or amazed... It's because He made you. He knows what you're like. He knows your weaknesses and your frailties. He knows the struggle that you have against sin. He knows that you're not perfect. And I think that's good news. He's like a father. He has compassion on his children. When my children first learn how to walk and they stumbled and they fall flat on their face, I don't give them a 30-minute lecture about walking. I don't spank them. I don't send them to their room for an hour. I pick them up and I dust them off. 
and I correct them and I help them get back on track again. We don't scold kids who are learning how to walk. And likewise, God, when He looks at you, He doesn't say, you blew it, you stupid idiot. No, He knows how you tick. He knows you're going to make mistakes. God knows exactly the mistakes you're going to make tomorrow and next week and what you'll commit the rest of your life. He already knows. And therefore, it's not a big surprise to Him. And that's one of the reasons that God isn't angry with us when we're inconsistent. And then two, Jesus understands because He's been there too. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, why doesn't God get uptight with us? Because Jesus has been there. He's came to earth. He experienced the same temptations. He knows the hassles. He knows where we're coming from. And when you come to Christ and you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about whether or not when I sin, I have to hide from God. And by the way, that's a typical reaction. A lot of times when we sin, we want to run from God, when in reality, that's what we need to do is run to Him. And I think this is a liberating truth, to understand that God is not mad at me because I'm in Christ. You know, the hardest lesson that I've had to learn in the Christian life is the fact that God has not become impatient with me when I fall over and over and over and over and over in the same areas. I don't know if you've ever felt like I've committed that sin so many times I'm too embarrassed to ask for forgiveness. And then number three, God doesn't punish me when I sin. Punishment is payment for something that's happened in the past. Now why doesn't God punish me? Because there's a law called double jeopardy. And it goes like this. Once you've been condemned or punished for a crime and you've been convicted of it, you, don't have, you can't be convicted for that same crime. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ took my punishment, all my sins, everything I'm going to ever commit 2,000 years ago. Now, why would God punish Jesus Christ and then say, you know, I don't think that was enough. I'm going to do it to you too. Jesus took the punishment so that Christians would never be punished for their sins. We are disciplined, and there's a big difference between discipline and punishment. Romans 5.18 says this, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation to all men, and he's referring to, to how uh, sin has entered the whole human race, came into the world, we all have a fall nature. He says, so also the result of one act of righteousness, meaning Jesus, was justification that brings life for all men. One man, Jesus, brought the solution by taking the penalty. I love First Peter 3.18. It says, for Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, meaning him, died for the right unrighteous, that means me, to bring you to God. And Jesus Christ took the punishment. Now, why would God punish Christians when Jesus Christ has already taken the punishment on the cross? That would be like saying Christ didn't do enough. And if you say that, that's blasphemy theologically. That's heresy. He took all the punishment upon himself. Now, remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor James was here? He called you beloved. He'd say, beloved, beloved, beloved. Beloved, when we fail to understand this point, what we start doing when we sin is we start expecting God to punish us and we start looking for things in our life like maybe God is getting back at me. You get sick or you have some financial difficulties. God must be repaying me for what I did 20 years ago. 
And some people, they start thinking every time something bad happens to them that God is punishing them. Listen, he settled the score at the cross. And that's what it means to live under no condemnation. And if you're a Christian, your sins have been forgiven and paid for, and God doesn't hold a grudge. He's not your enemy. You are his child. And I think this will affect your lifestyle when you get, when you get this understanding of what it means to live without condemnation. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, Bill, you're just giving us a license to sin. You know? A lot of people think that if God knows everything that I'm going to do and He already accepts me, then I can do whatever I want to do. You know? I don't think He will. And we'll see in a minute why. Psalm 103 says this, He will not always accuse us, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, God doesn't treat you for what, the way you deserve. If he did, none of you would be here right now. It says, He will not repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, why am I making such a big deal about this? The reason is, is a lot of people can't get close to God. They can't enjoy fellowship with God, and they don't know why they don't know love, love God, and I think it's because they're afraid of God. And as a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of God. Now, the fear that the Bible talks about is a reverence or an awe or a respect. I don't think we treat God flippantly, that, that great dodger in the sky. No, I, I think we treat him with respect, but we don't fear him. All the punishment, guilt, and shame, and the penalty has been taken by Christ. The Bible says he has made us his friends. And that's what it means to live without condemnation. So, the question is, then what does happen when a Christian sins? You know, if we're saved from these things, and God accepts us no matter what, and we can't lose our salvation, and and God's not going to be angry with me, and he's not frustrated with my inconsistencies, and he's going to love me regardless, why be good? Romans 6, one, Shall we continue its sin that grace may abound? In other words, every time you sin, God's grace is shown even greater. So let's just sin even more so God's grace gets shown more. No. As far as God's acceptance of you is concerned, this is not the issue. But it does make a big issue in your daily happiness. It makes an issue in your relationship with others and in a lot of other ways. Every time you sin, your potential has been reduced. So what does happen when a Christian sins? If I'm not condemned and God's not angry with me and he doesn't reject me and he doesn't get impatient or frustrated with me, well, here's what happens. Number one, it brings conviction from God. In John chapter 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so this is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to you. And conviction means this. It means that God makes you aware of the sin in your life. When you sin, God will make you aware of it. He's not going to lay a big guilt trip on you. He's not going to say you're worthless and you're no good. But he's going to say, psst, that was wrong. The book of Acts, Peter is preaching. And all these people, after the sermon, they say to him in verse 27 of Acts 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is a clear example of conviction. 
I, there's a lot of times when people come up to me after a sermon and they'll say, were you peeking in my window this week? Did you talk to my wife? You know, because somehow God took some word from the, from, from the scripture and by way of the Holy Spirit, he brought a conviction to somebody's heart. And you tell the difference between conviction and condemnation this way. Condemnation says, I'm no good and I'll never be any good. And conviction says, what shall we do? Conviction says, I want to change and be different. I'm going to ask God to work in my life. I want to be different. One of the biggest problems in Christians' lives is distinguishing the difference between the accusations of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And how do you tell the difference? You know, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You would think that once a Christian sins, that Satan would kind of wipe his hands and go, I wiped that one out, and they'd be, he'd be gone. That's when he does his worst work. That's when he points his accusing finger at you and says, you call yourself a Christian. You think God could love you for what you just did? You think you could be ever used by God again? And that's the accusing condemnation of the unholy spirit. But the Holy Spirit will convict you to turn to Christ and to receive His forgiveness and to get His cleansing. And so He's very specific about the specific sins in your life as well. I mean, take an example of Peter and Judas. Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Do you think he was sorry? He tried to take the money back. There's nobody that's been ever more sorry than Judas was for what he did. And he went out and he hanged himself. The accusing condemnation of the unholy spirit. And then you got the Apostle Peter. If everybody deserts you, I would die first. And he denies Christ. And 60 days later, he stands up in Jerusalem and he preaches a sermon that that day 3,000 people came to know Christ. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Does God stand up in heaven and go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo? I think today I'll forgive Peter. No. The conviction of the Holy Spirit forces us to turn back to Christ and to ask for forgiveness and to be restored in in relationship. Number two, sin hurts other people around us, especially those who are closest to us. My sin hurts my kids and my, my wife. David was told in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, God said, I don't want you to number how many troops you have. Because God was trying to tell David, I'll take care of the, of the battle. Don't rely on how many men you have. You know what David did? He numbered the troops. So when they went to the next battle, they lost and a lot of people were killed. And David said, God, because of my sin, all these other people have suffered. And, and we can bring that home today. Because of an addiction I have, other people may be suffering. So not only in your own family. You know, you could be driving down the highway, not your fault, and a drunk driver hits you. You experience the consequences of other people's sin. The Bible says, do not be deceived, because sin not only hurts hurts others, it destroys your own happiness. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, he will reap. I think sometimes the sin affects us emotionally. Sometimes our sin affects us physically. Sometimes it affects us spiritually. And a lot of people want to go out and sow their wild oats, but then they pray for crop failure. God does not exempt you from the natural consequences of your own action. 
I could get drunk, get on the freeway, kill myself, and God will let it happen. In fact, there's a scripture that says your own sin will reprove you. God doesn't have to bring any punishment. You, you experience, I believe the reason that God hates sin so much is not what it does to him, but what it does to you. He hates to see what it does to you. Everything has consequences in life, good and bad. And it's not judgment that you're experiencing. It's the natural consequences of your own choices that you're experiencing. What you sow, you reap. And when we sin, although it doesn't change anything about our relationship with God because He still loves us and He understands that we have an old nature and He understands the struggle, there is no condemnation. You know, I used to think that the only way to get out of condemnation was to get out of the struggle. If I could just quit struggling and have victory, then somehow God wouldn't condemn me. But the Bible says even in the midst of the struggle, God does not condemn. I have this conviction of of, God in my life, and he will point out the things that are wrong. And if I hurt other people when I sin or when I hurt myself physically or emotionally or, or spiritually, the natural consequence is I experience the fallout. And then number four, fellowship with God is broken. You know, relationship and fellowship are two different things. Your relationship with God is never broken, but sometimes if you're a Christian, your fellowship is broken. I, I've had that with my wife. We didn't get unmarried, but somehow because of something, the fellowship got ruined and I have to get back into fellowship. I can't get de-Crawforded. I can't get, I'm a, I'm a Crawford for the rest of my life. I can't get unborn. But sometimes the fellowship is broken. And it's very important to understand the difference between approval and acceptance. You can accept a person, their lifestyle, even, even if it's a sinful lifestyle, with, without approving of that lifestyle. And you can accept that person, even without agreeing with everything that they're doing. And God accepts you by, not by giving blanket approval to everything that you do, but when you sin, your fellowship with Him is broken. Look at 1 John chapter 1. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from every sin. So how do you know when you're in fellowship? I've tried to analyze this for a lot of my Christian life. My wife has put over our fireplace three letters in frames. J-O-Y, joy. And I'll tell you what, when I'm in fellowship with my wife, I have joy. And when I'm out of fellowship, I don't have joy. David experienced that with Bathsheba back in the Old Testament. He sinned with her, and in Psalm 51, when he prays his prayer of confession, in verse 12, he says, Restore the joy of thy salvation. See, you don't, need to, you don't lose your salvation. You lose the joy of your salvation. And so... Uh, so that's how we lose fellowship. Then you have to realize that your usefulness to God becomes limited. God can't use you effectively. You're going to be, I would call, an unproductive Christian if you allow that sin to stockpile in your life. In John 15, Jesus says, "Remain in you, and I will uh, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit in itself; it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me." And so if you want to see fruit in your life, you've got to stay in tune with the Lord. You have to be in harmony. You know, you're you're going to have to get out of living a certain kind of lifestyle 
Because God can't use you and you can't bear fruit if you let that sin pile up. And then number six, sin brings discipline from God. I think it's important that we understand this difference because I think it will make a difference how you respond to God. Hebrews 12 uses the word punish one time, but it's a different Greek word. It's not the same as a word for like condemnation. And look at verse 5. And you haven't forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. My sons and daughters, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes, not the word for condemnation, everyone he accepts as a son or daughter. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. What son or daughter is not disciplined by his father? If we're not disciplined, and everyone goes under discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters. You know, I noticed when I was a kid, my dad never punished the kids down the street or disciplined them. He always put a little corrective action on me when it was appropriate. And one of the ways you know if you're a Christian is when you start getting off track, God will correct you. In fact, if you see somebody who claims to be a Christian and they're living in blatant, obvious sin and there's no correction that's coming in their life, no discipline, no action of God in their life, then one of the things that might prove is that they really weren't a Christian after all. Because one of the things that proves you're a Christian is you can't sin and get away with it. You feel miserable. You know, the discipline that God is going to make is not going to make you say, you're lousy, you're cruddy, you're no good, God hates you. No, there's a big difference. Pick it up. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Bruce Nearmore is a Christian psychiatrist, and he makes a distinction between these two. The purpose of punishment, he says, is to pay back for a wrong. And by the way, if you're a parent of a kid, this can be very helpful. You kind of want to get even and settle the score. But the purpose of discipline is to correct somebody in order to promote growth in their life. The focus of punishment is on what's happened in the past. You know, you're going to pay for what you did. You hurt me somehow. It's pain for the past. But the focus of discipline is on the future. I want to help you so that in the future you won't do that again. I want to help you so that this is how you live in the future. What's the attitude between these two? The attitude behind punishment is anger. And sometimes as parents, you know, we just get angry about something and and so we want to punish. But the focus of discipline is love. That's what he says here. God disciplines us because he's treating us as his own children. He loves us and he wants us to do better and so he corrects us. And the result of punishment is this. It's usually fear and guilt and hostility. You see a kid who just is so fearful of their parent, you know they've probably been punished out of guilt but the result of discipline is security and psychologists will tell you that the most insecure children are the ones who are undisciplined and the most secure children the ones who have the highest self-esteem are those who are brought up in homes of loving discipline not punishment but discipline and so the difference between punishing your kid and discipling or disciplining your kid i think is this do you do it out of anger or do you do it out of love Discipline is setting them down and saying, you're going to get this. I love you and I want you to understand because I want you to be different. Well, we could spend a whole other session on that. I think God will be a good model for us. So here's how we'll close today. 
when a Christian sins, it doesn't change how God feels about you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to come back. So what should you do? I wish more people understood what we're talking about because there's a lot of emotional problems among Christians because they don't understand this. They are trying to please an unpleasable God. They've created a God who's continuously angry at them. But when they come to God, no matter what they do, they kind of get the impression that God is saying, you could have done better. Your best isn't good enough. And they don't know what it means to live without condemnation. So how do you deal with sin? Number one, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, the ideal is that you wouldn't, but we break the ideal. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And so when you sin, the first thing you do is you remind yourself that Jesus Christ has already paid for that, and he's pleading your defense. He's your advocate saying, Father, I know Bill is deserving of the death penalty. But Father, I want to remind you that the penalty 2,000 years ago was paid for and there's no double jeopardy. We have Jesus as our defense. And then number two, you confess it. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And confess in the Greek means to agree with or to say the same thing. And so we just agree with God. God, I was jealous today. God, I was wrong. God, I got angry with my wife unnecessarily. God, I was short with that person. God, I was judgmental in my attitude. Confession doesn't mean that you beg. Please, 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 God. God wants to forgive you. And it doesn't mean that you bargain. And this was a part of my confession years ago. God, if you forgive me this time, I'll never, ever, ever do it again. Ha! You know, if that's a particular area of weakness for you, you'll be back at it in 24 hours. If you happen to be a gossip, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. If you happen to be a negative person, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. If you have a problem with pride, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. You'll be back there time and time again, so don't bargain. Confession doesn't take care of the future. It just simply restores your fellowship right now. And then don't try to bribe God. God, if you forgive me, I will read my Bible every day. I promise that I'll witness every day. Don't make promises. Just speak the same, admit it. Say the same thing that he says about it. And then finally, accept his forgiveness. And forgive yourself. And this is such a hard thing to do. It's easy to ask for forgiveness. It's another thing to believe that you are forgiven. When you understand grace... I think then you won't be condemning yourself. God gets no personal joy out of watching you emotionally whip yourself. Uh, it just grieves Him. And Some people, I think, feel if God doesn't punish me, then I'll have to do it for Him. And they try to atone for it. There's a church in, uh, in Israel that I visited one time. It's called the Church of the Flagellation. That's where you take a little whip and you whip your back and you whip here and you whip here and it's kind of like punishing yourself. And there are a lot of churches in the United States that are the church of the flagellation. They don't necessarily use whips, but some people come to church and they feel like if someone isn't beating me up spiritually, then I, then I really haven't gotten clean. You know, No. God doesn't want you to condemn yourself. 1 John 3.19, and this is for you perfectionists, those of you who have very sensitive consciences, consciences, 
This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And even when I'm feeling put down because of my own heart, my own hang-ups, God is greater than my heart. And many Christians, I think, make their, make, mistake their emotional hang-ups for the voice of God. I feel guilty, bad, useless. Must be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, it isn't. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he does not condemn us. Final verse, Hebrews 9.14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from, conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And God wants you to serve him with a clear conscience. And when you refuse to accept God's forgiveness, and when you refuse to forgive yourself, and when you insist on continually condemning yourself for your mistakes, you're not living under grace. You're living under the law. And God does not motivate his children out of fear, or out of manipulation, or out of guilt, or out of threat of punishment, or out of threat of rejection, or out of anger, or out of condemnation. He always responds to us in love. Because we deserve it? No. Because we're in Christ. You know, I could take my Bible here, and I could take my registration card that has my name on it, and I could put it inside, this is Christ, and this is me, and now I'm in Christ. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter whether that paper is torn, it doesn't matter whether it's tattered, it doesn't matter what kind of marks it has on it, it doesn't matter how dirty it is, but when you look at this book, you don't see me. You see Christ. And when you're in Christ, God looks down at you and he doesn't see your mistakes and your imperfections and your hang-ups. He sees Christ, you in Christ. And Christ is perfect. And for God to reject Christ or to reject you means he would have to reject Christ. And so that's the good news. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. And Father, I just want to thank you so much for the liberating truths that we've looked at today. Thank you that we don't have to go around being afraid or fearing you. Father, thank you that because we're in Christ, you love us and you see us as perfect. You discipline us rather than punish us. And Lord, when we sin, help us not to be afraid to come to you and to face the facts and to admit it. Help us to realize that you never get tired of forgiving us over and over and over. But it just shows your nature. And help us to live without condemnation this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.